want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter four. First book in the Bible, chapter four. Genesis chapter four. <clears throat> All right. We're going to talk about mental health today. I knew you'd laugh because you, you don't think I'm qualified to talk in that area, do you? You'd be surprised what the Bible has to say about it. Before we talk about it, I didn't know if you knew this or not, but we're in the middle, in the midst of a great mental health crisis in our nation. We have a tremendous problem. And the experts who deal with this thing tell us it is escalating in our nation. I, I follow this pretty close because mental health is closely tied to the Son of God and His goodness and the ministry. And uh, you know one of the things that's really surprised me about mental health in our nation? They compartmentalize it demographically. They break it down into segments. And they tell us, here's the group that has the most trouble. Here's the group that has the least trouble. One of the things that surprised me, there's a, a, a strata in our society that has very little mental health problems. They do great. Guess who it is? Certainly not preachers. Uh, old men. Older men, 60 years and older. Amen. I'm, no, amen me. I'm one of them. 60 years and up have very little. They just have the greatest mental health. Don't that make sense? I mean, you, you, you got on plaid shorts, white knee socks, and you sit around Biscuitville all day. What do you got to worry about? Of course they have no problems. Who has the greatest problem today by far and away? Teens and 20s. Mental health is at, a, is, at a, is at a great disparity, a great problem with teenagers and the young people in their 20s. If you know the Bible, that makes perfect sense. Old men like me were raised in an era that was conducive to great mental health. Right. We're raising our teenagers in an era that is destructive to mental health. Now that just makes sense according to the scriptures, but it's a tremendous problem. So we're going to talk about it today. Before I talk about this now, I got to do a disclaimer so you don't light me up on the platforms this week. <laughs> we're not talking about chemical mental health problems. A young woman that has just had a baby and is in postpartum depression, that's chemical. And my head is off to you. When I get to heaven, I'm going to hug Eve. Because if she had not bit that apple, men would be having babies. <laughs> if I were a woman, she's the first person I'd slap when I got to heaven. <laughs> we're not talking about chemical problems. I'm not talking about a warrior that has been to the battlefield and comes back with PTSD. That is stress induced. That's not what we're talking about today. I'm not talking about the demonic. Um, schizophrenia, things like that. We're talking about decision-based mental health problems, which is the large majority of mental illness in our nation right now. So understand that we're just talking about decision-based today according to scripture. All righty, <clears throat> what is normal? Does anybody have any idea what is normal in this nation anymore? All right, what kind of, what, how, what is normal? What was I created for? Do you think my creator created me to be angry, miserable, depressed, nervous, worried? Not on your life. What is normal mental health? The Bible sums it up in two words, joy and peace. If I'm at peace on the inside, I'm not afraid. I'm not nervous. I'm not, I'm not upset. I'm not worried. If I have joy, I'm not depressed. Normal mental health follows the words joy and peace. And, it, and here's the reason. It come, we were created by a God who describes himself in one word. The Bible says God does many things, but he only says I am one thing, which is God is love. We, were, we are love children created by a love God who lives in love and we're to walk in love. And I'm going to show in the scriptures that when I choose to walk in love, the natural fruit of walking in love is to have joy and peace. And we were created by a love God to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, love our neighbors as ourselves, and the fruit of choosing to walk in love is a life of joy and peace mentally and emotionally. Amen. Got it? We were created for that. But something happened called the fall of man. And we rejected our creation order. And instead of walking in love, we chose the opposite. And the opposite of love is not hatred. The opposite of love is selfishness. Because love is defined as serving and sacrifice. The opposite of love is selfishness. So if I embrace my fallen nature and I begin to live a selfish, self-centered life, 
What is the error that points out of selfishness? It leads to anger and misery and depression. Mental health problems flow out of a decision to live a selfish life. Let's see that in the Bible. Biblical help. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. She bore again, this time his brother Abel. Y'all have heard of Cain and Abel? This is where it came from. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. Verse three, in the process of time, it came to pass. Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The Lord respected Abel and his offering. He did not respect Cain and his offering. What happened? It doesn't seem fair, does it? People talk about how unfair things are. There is one God and this is him. All right, this, it's not about unkindness on God's part. When Cain brought that offering, it represented his, his effort. His sweat had to be in it. He produced that himself. It is a picture of making a sacrifice before God that you come up with yourself, your own self-effort. God, I come before you because I'm gonna be, I've been a good person. I've given money. I've tried to do right. I promise to be a good person. That is not an acceptable sacrifice. What did Abel bring? He brought a lamb, which is a pre-incarnate picture of the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. The only thing I can bring to God is an acceptable sacrifice is what Jesus did at the cross, period. And this is a picture that the only sacrifice he'll accept is when you bow your knee and say, I bring nothing except Jesus and what he did at the cross for my sins. And it's a, it's a simple picture, it teaches a whole lot. All right, what happened here? Verse five, he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. What was the result? Cain became angry. What does it mean his countenance fell? Have you ever seen anybody you could just look at their face and tell something was wrong? You could just tell they were miserable by looking at them. I mean, you know people can tell what's on the inside by looking in the window of the outside. All right, it said his countenance fell. Let me read it to you from another translation. This is the International Standard Translation. It said he became very angry and very depressed. So he's angry and he's depressed uh, because of something that happened in his life. All right, why was he like that? I want you to read with me in verse, the next verse. Verse six, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why are you so depressed and miserable? Why are you angry? Why are you so depressed and miserable? How many of you know that the creator of this universe who knows eternal history doesn't ask questions because he don't know something? He knew. He asked questions for me to learn something, for me to find something. He said, Brother Brian, you can't understand these things. I want you to read that. Look at that verse again. God is going to help us understand where anger, misery, and depression comes from. He said, you know what he said here? Let's lay the ax to the root of your problem, son. Let's find out what's wrong with you and let's find out why you're, why you're so messed up so we can fix it. According to this book, things happen for a reason. And we need to find out what the reason is. That's why this book was given so we can find the answers to the questions of life. Our mental health problems are great in this nation right now. The answers are in this book. And he's fixing to show us the answer. And in our God's wonderful fashion, he asked him a question in verse six and then he answered it himself in verse seven. Remember, if we have a question, rather than me answer it, maybe he ought to answer it. Just say it. All right, verse seven. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Let me read it to you from another version. If you will start doing right, will you not be happy again? If you will begin to do right, will not your be accepted means will your face not rise up again? Will you not find joy again? Will your depression not be gone? So the Lord lays the root, lays the ax right there. Said, if you do well, will you do? Will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, what's the word? His next word say sin. Bingo. I want you to tell me what God said in that passage right there. The root of misery, depression, anger, and the mental maladies of this day are the sins of the people. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. My sins, mine. Right, we got a problem here because Cain was miserable and depressed and upset. He thought it was somebody else's fault. Read verse eight. Verse eight said this, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. 
He thought it was his brother's fault. He thought it was God's fault because God wouldn't take his offering. And he thought it was everybody else's fault. What did God say in verse seven? Son, the problem is your sin. And if you'll get your sin straightened out, you won't be miserable and depressed like this. You'll find happiness again. So he laid the ax right to the very root of his problem. Now in our culture right now, we have experts that deal in mental health problems and societal problems. And uh, they're psychiatrists, counselors, uh, even medical doctors involved in this now. And they're trying to answer the question in verse six, why are people in the shape we're in today? Why do we have such a proliferation of anger and depression? Very few things shock me anymore. I was shocked when I began to read the numbers of people, the number of the people in our nation that are on mental health medication. I'm not against it. I'm for it as a temporary bridge to get us to a place of healing. I was stunned at the number. There's a group of women in our nation, a demographic of a certain age, 40% are on psychiatric medication. We're not talking about a few folks. And our society is trying to find out what the problem is. And basically our culture has said, it has said there are three sources of the mental health problems in our nation. I'm gonna give you all three of them real quickly. Because as verse six said, why? Why are we suffering like we are today? And our culture's found three reasons. Number one, our society says it's past environment. Things that happened in the past are the reason you're miserable today. Things that happened in the past are the reason you're angry today. So we, we lay the ax to the past. Number two, our society says it's your circumstances. It's what's going on around you. It's the way people are acting around you. It's the way politicians are acting. It's the way a certain group is acting. It's, it's the way things are being... We say that our misery, our depression, our mental anguish is due to things that are going on around us. Number three, our culture says it's other people. If you're miserable and depressed, it's because of that man you're married to. If you're miserable and depressed, it's because of your mama or, or whatever. But we blame other people and blame is a good word. And basically our society says those are the three reasons we have such mental problems in our nation today. I'm going to cut right. This is going to be so simple. I'm going to get right to the point. God's having none of it. Nobody owns me except the living God. Nobody can rule my soul except the living God unless I let him. What did he say Cain's problem was? It's your sin. It's your decision. This is called decision based. It's your decisions that are doing this to you. And he dealt with it. Now, what is our father's answer? What is God's answer to mental malady? I'm going to make this so simple that a psychiatrist would stumble over it. Do right. Will you not be happy? Do right. Will things not be fixed? It's not your past. Friend, if my past can rule my future, I am one sad dude. And God is not who he says he is. If what's going on around me rules my future, I just bury me. You're not going to change what's going on around you in the culture. You joust in the windmill, Don Quixote. If people rule my soul, other people rule my soul, I'm moving to Mars. Why? I have no control over what other people do. I'm in charge of one man. One of the reasons my life is so happy, I'm in charge of one man. I'm not, I can't help what other people do. It's me. Your decisions determine your mental condition, according to the Bible. Now, a lot of people, people light up over this issue and they want to fight and argue. Save your argument. Whoa, whoa. I'm the paper boy. Talk to the guy who wrote the article. I'm going to give you proof. I've been doing this 40 years. I have met people who have been through hellish conditions. I mean, they've been through horrible things and they glow in the dark. They are so happy. There's a peace about them. They're quiet on the inside. They're just, they glow in the dark. I'm going to mention two of them. I think I've told this before. I met a lady years ago. I pastored another church. My secretary asked me, would you go by and see this lady? She's a member of our church. Uh, her husband left a pistol laying in the linen closet one day. She pulled a sheet down. The pistol hit the floor, discharged, shot her in the spine, paralyzed her. The day he brought her home from a rehab center, he packed up his stuff. He said, I ain't living with no cripple woman, walked out on her and left her in the house by herself. I said, I'd be glad to go see her. You know what I expected when I went in there? I expected a bitter, angry woman mad at the world because of the way somebody done her. I, she opened that door and I sat there and I just looked like Gomer Powell. 
she literally glowed when I look at her. Beautiful red dress on, I still see her. Beautiful black hair. She's about 40 years old then. And she glowed in the dark. She said, my pastor has come to see me. She just, I mean, joy just flowed out of her. We sat down. She talked to me about how wonderful life was, how good God had been to her. He'd found her a job. She worked for the Red Cross, getting soldiers home after tragedies. And she could do it all from her home right there. Had a bank of telephones. She said, I got to show you something. Come in here, come in here. Pop, pop, pop. She rolled her chair in there. We went in a little room. It was her war room back before war room came out years ago. And she had maps all over that wall. She said, these are missionaries all over the world. I keep in contact with, I come in here and pray over these maps, had them right at face left. Said, I pray over them. And she just went on and on about how wonderful life. Tell me about your family. I'm so glad you're here. And she, before you go, she said, I found out you like a certain type of cake. I made you one. Went over and got me a cake out of the Frigidaire. I said, here. She's dumping all my ministerial training upside down. <laughs> Finally got ready to go. And I said, well, I'm going to run. She said, she said, would you pray for me? And I thought, won't you pray for me? You, I don't need to be praying for you. You need to be praying for me. Explain that. What happened to you has nothing to do with what you're doing today. I've met girls in worse messes than that. I've seen young ladies who were captured as children held in sex slavery for years. To me, that's hell's bottom rung. When I retire one day, I'm taking my trusty 45. I'm going to Southeast Asia and I'm going to rescue them girls. That's my calling right there. So I'm sorry, I didn't get on that. I've seen these girls held for years in sex slavery as sex slaves. And I've watched them glow in the dark and love Jesus and love people and have a life they've been redeemed. Their past has no effect on them whatsoever. Explain that. Dear ones, my decisions write my ticket. My decisions determine my life. This is what our King's teaching us right here in scripture. I'm the one who decides that. Now Cain's answer was, it's what other people have done. All right, the root of mental malady is my decisions. What is the fruit of mental malady? God said in verse seven, the root is you, you're not handling things well. What was the fruit in verse eight? Murder, violence, anger. If we don't deal with our mental problems, you're gonna see this. I saw recently where a Hollywood actor commented on a certain politician in our nation and he said, he said this, he said, I hope he dies a slow agonizing death and I hope he burns in hell forever. A politician he don't like. You know what that is? That's not anger. That is the spirit of murder that follows anger. The spirit of murder is being poured out across this nation right now. That's why Jesus said, if you are mad at your brother, you've already killed him because it's anger that always leads to murder. And if we don't get a handle on this mess, we, you know, people, pundits are saying that violence is going to erupt in our inner cities and murder is going to erupt. That's how the enemy brings murder in a land. He gets people angry and upset. And, and we see the fruit of this mess that's in our lives right now. Here's a simple biblical principle from verse seven. Let's, let's read it again. I, I love ver verse seven has a lot to say to us. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Here it is. Do right, be happy. I have psychological books. I don't know why. It's just because living free won't take junk like that. So I'm still stuck with them. I've got psychology books that thick that try to explain away what God said in four words. You don't need a book that thick to refute scripture that's that long. Do right, be happy. All righty. And uh, now, now a lot of people say to me, Brother Brown, I, what is right? We don't understand this righteousness stuff. I, I understand that. That's why our young people are in such a mess today. See if you agree with me on this. When I was a boy being raised in this nation, right from wrong, according to God's word, was even taught in the public schools. Movies taught right from wrong. Anybody remember Pinocchio? Tell a lie, your nose grows. I, I watched that thing. I remember for two weeks, I walked around feeling my face all the time, wondering what was going on. Thou shalt not lie. But we've shifted gears in the last 40 years so that, uh, let me tell you what Jeremiah said about this. Misery to those who call right wrong and wrong right. Now we've got people who don't even know what right and wrong is anymore. I knew right from wrong. I chose not to do it at times, but at least I knew it. We're in a different culture today. Here, this is so simple, dear ones. 
Let's read it. Verse seven. Read verse seven with me again. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, listen to this. Sin lies at your door. Its desire is for you. What's that mean? You say, Brother Brian, I know right from wrong. There's times I just want to do wrong. What did the Bible say? Sin is at your door. Its desire is for you. What's the word? Temptation. When sin is knocking on your door trying to get you, that's called temptation. What does God say about that? Rule over that thing. Get a handle on it. Make the decision no matter how you feel. I'm going to make this so simple. Even if you've never been taught right from wrong, you don't even need to know the whole Bible. On one page, you can learn the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is the plumb line for what is eternally right and eternally wrong. You say, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what I believe. The one who created this planet will be the one who determines right and wrong. Culture cannot shift right, wrong, eternally. Only God has the right to decide that. Okay, so the scripture teaches you and I, this is so simple and it all boils back to one thing. I can make this so simple for you. The Bible said every commandment of God can be summed up right here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your neighbor as yourself. Everything in this universe centers around the love of God. So what about all that? Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't. If I love you, am I going to steal your truck? Your wife. I need to say that again. If I love you, am I going to steal your wife? I know what you're thinking. You bring her back for dark. Sorry. If I love you, am I going to stab you in the back? I'm going know love does not stab people in the back. Can anybody tell me which commandment that is? Number nine. If I love you, am I going to be mad because I can't get your money and your stuff? That's commandment number 10. It all boils down to love God, love people. All right. What happens to me if I choose to obey God and walk in love? I want to show you this. It's in Galatians 5. Many people misquote this. Let's see it. You'll find the Corinthians. Then you'll find the Galatians. If I choose to do what God calls love, and walk in righteousness, I want you to watch what happens to me. Every single time. All right, Galatians chapter five. We have a lot of discussion today about what Christianity is and not. Did you know that our nation polls tell us that 84% of Americans claim to be Christians? Think about that. 84%, that's about the going rate right now. It's down a little bit from about 90 20 years ago, about 84% of Americans claim to be Christians. Can I be a smart aleck for a second? The 16% that don't have moved to North Carolina. I'm sorry. A lot of discussion about what is Christian, what isn't. Just because you go to church on Sunday doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. The devil comes every Sunday. Listen, what is, how do you know? How do you tell the Bible tells you and I right here, the evidence of God on the inside will be this on the outside. How do you believe? Do you believe you can tell when somebody follows Jesus? So you shouldn't judge people. Yes, you should. When Jesus said, do not judge, he meant don't condemn people. But when he said, judge with a righteous judgment, he meant test all things, hold fast to what is good. I can be around you for a while and tell whether Jesus lives on the inside of you or not. You see, you cannot. Yes, I can. I know the Bible. And the Bible is very clear in one verse where it says, by this, this is how you'll know. Galatians 5.22 says this, the fruit of the Spirit, what you'll see on the outside if God is on the inside. Would you agree with me? What you'll see on the outside if God is on the inside. Now, we have a problem here semantically, but this is where people miss it. In this verse, does it say fruit or fruits? Singular. Why does he list nine things if it's the fruit? There's only one fruit of the Spirit. It is the love of God in your heart and it is to walk in that love. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You say, what's some other eight things? That's what comes in your life if you choose to walk in love. What's the next two things after love? What's the epitome of great mental health? Peace on the inside and joy. You, can't you see it? If I choose to walk in love, my life will be full of joy and peace. The fruit of God on the inside, if I choose to walk in love, I'm going to have joy and peace. Where does true good mental health come from? Choosing to obey my creator and walk in his love. 
every single time. It just, it just flows through me like that. Now, if I choose love, that's what'll happen. Now, if I don't choose, if I reject the love of God and don't walk in it, I'm going to become a selfish, self-centered person, which seems to be pretty vogue in my nation right now. If I choose selfishness, will I have love and joy or will I have misery and depression and anger? I make the decision. I write the ticket. And uh, this is is what's happening in the land. Now, have you ever known anybody that, have you ever heard this phrase, lost their joy? I've known people that was so happy, they make bluebirds look depressed. I mean, they they just glowed in the dark, just wonderful, happy people. And all of a sudden you saw them and they was lowering a snake's belly in a wagon rut. I'm not talking about just, you know, all of us have momentary days or whatnot where things don't go well. I've known people that are just so full of Jesus and so in love with Jesus and you see them later and they're just miserable. Day after day, what happened? Did God change? How can you go from joy to misery like Cain did? You don't think Cain enjoyed his life out there farming at one time? Turn to Psalm 51. What happened to the joy in this nation? Since this is old people's day, you'll learn a lot about what's happened in this nation. Go back to the 1960s and watch some of the television shows from the 1960s. Leave it to Beaver. Gomer Pyle. Andy Griffith. My three sons. Father knows best. I like that one. Father knows best. Look at the variety shows. Look at Carol Burnett. Look, at, look back when you had to have talent. You couldn't just be filthy and gyrate. You had to have talent back then. Guess what you'll see across the board? Happy people. Day-to-day lives, happy people. Look, fast forward. Watch as the stomach churns. They all end up on the edge of night. That's why they have to go to General Hospital. Mr. Gallup tells us that happiness is at an all-time low in our nation. Explain that. We're the wealthiest we've ever been. When I was a boy, the phone had a cord to the wall. Somebody showed me a new, new car the other day. It had a heated steering wheel. My daddy's truck cranked. Sometimes we have never had more stuff that's supposed to make us happy. What's happened? Something's gone wrong here. If stuff makes you happy, we should be delirious. We're not. Psalm 51 is the great teaching of God as to why misery comes. Let me tell you about the, who's the happiest man in the Bible by far and away. Does anybody know? King David. King David. He wrote 75 songs in the Bible. And what do you hear in his writings? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continue to be in my mouth. He lifted me up out of the mire clay and set my feet upon a rock. Rejoice in the Lord. Praise you. Over it. You just hear joy pour out of this man. He is so thankful to be alive and what God has done for him. And he celebrates. He dances. He celebrates the Lord with dancing and music and stringed instruments and praise ye the Lord. Happiest man in the Bible. I mean, he glowed in the dark. But something happened on a set day in his life and he went into depression for one year. One of the reasons he was such a happy man is God had blessed him. But if you'll study his life carefully, he was also one of the most loving men that ever lived. He's the most benevolent king, I believe, that ever lived. He gave to his people constantly when he didn't have to. He cared about people. He was a a giving, loving man. He's one of the greatest men that ever lived. But on a set day in his life, his love turned into selfishness. And he made a decision. Instead of loving people and serving people that God has put me over, I will steal something. And he stole another man's wife. And what does it lead to? He killed the man. And on that day, his joy left him, became the most miserable person in the nation. And for one year, he lived in misery until he was confronted by a preacher and the preacher said to him, David's mad about something else and that preacher pointed at him and said, no, it's you. You're responsible. And instead of bowing up against authority, he bowed his head and wept. 
And he went into the church by himself and bowed down and prayed. And the prayer he prayed is Psalm 51. Now, don't you look what he said. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your tender love. Verse two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my, does it say sin? Why have we stopped using this word? Could it be that since we no longer believe in sin, we've had a parallel rise in misery? All right, he said this, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned. All right, what was the result of it? Verse eight, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. What did he say? When I chose to live selfish, I lost the joy that I used to have. I lost the gladness that I used to have in you. My sin has made me miserable. Dear ones, this is such a simple contrast. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the, the what? The joy of your salvation. I want to make an announcement, dear ones. There should be a joy to our salvation. This man had the joy of the Lord, the joy of his salvation at one time. But when he began to live a self-centered life, he lost that joy. Let me show you something else. One of the great, I've had people ask me, well, let's read verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt, the guilt, the guilt of bloodshed, O God. I've had people come to me for counseling and say, I am so miserable. I, I just feel so guilty. I feel so bad. And I'll listen to them for a while and I'll say, I have found the source of your problem. The reason you feel so guilty is because you are guilty. <laughs> the reason you feel so bad is because you are bad. This is not complicated, dear ones. I had a young man would talk one time and he said, I am so depressed. I said, that, that, that's awful. What, what's happened? And I found out a little in our, our time together, he finally quit playing stupid games. I didn't even know we need to be honest. And I found out he was sleeping with his boss's wife. And I said, I think I've found the source of your misery. <laughs> Am I over your head here? He said, deliver me from guilt. People feel guilty because they, this is not hard, dear ones. Uh, I had a, a head of a prison, one, or, uh, excuse me, a jail one time, another county from this one, asked me if I'd come teach a class on self-esteem to the prisoners. I said, I'd be glad to. I said, it won't take about five minutes. <laughs> Straighten up, quit lying, confess your sins, tell the truth, ask forgiveness, get out of here, get a job, get a part-time job, be a good family man, start working with the Boy Scouts, and in no time at all, you'll feel much better about yourself. Yeah. Not getting many amens, am I, today? We're trying to fix our emotional, mental mess without laying the ax to the root of the problem. Let me show you something crazy here. People have asked me, said, Brother Brian, how come certain Christians don't sing? Let God answer. Deliver me from the, verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, and the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing loud. You know why we quit singing in this land? Because we've, we've disobeyed God. He lost the joy of his salvation. He lost his, his hope in his life because of the decisions that he made. That's when joy becomes depression. Now, what happened when he got honest right here? What happened? Before long, he was writing songs and singing again. And the father restored him and brought back his joy. All right, I'm going to give you, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm going to put it out here and you decide whether God tells the truth or not. Holy people are happy people. I thought you'd look at me like that. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter one. Everybody's looking for the highway to happiness. It's called holiness. Happy people are happy because they are holy. I'm gonna show you one of the craziest things in the Bible. To have true happiness is happiness. A lot of people don't think happiness is important. I'm gonna show you in the Bible where it's very important. Why was this nation founded? What's our original document say? to give people life, liberty, and the pursuit of That's what most people want in life. All right, to be truly happy, let me tell you two things you got to do according to the Bible. You got to start loving something and you got to start hating something. 
You say, Brother Brown, how can hatred lead to happiness? Ask the one who wrote it when you read it here. Let's see what this is. I love this. Well, I love them all. This is one of those wild verses in the Bible in Hebrews chapter one, verse nine says this. You have loved righteousness. Pause right there. Has anybody ever heard of righteousness? Something preachers talk about. You know what righteousness is? What is the root word of righteousness? Right. In whose eyes? You have decided to love what God says is right and do it. Now, listen, we're not talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about me. I've decided to love what God says is right. What's the second one? And you have hated something. You have hated what? What's lawlessness? First John chapter three, verse four. Sin is lawlessness. What does the Bible tell me I need to do? Start loving what God calls right. Start hating what God calls sin. Watch, see if this isn't wild right here. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of what? Gladness or joy. More than your companions. Get it? You want to be the happiest person in your house? What does it mean more than your companions? You're happier than anybody else. You're gladder than anybody else. Now, sometimes people get cute with me and they say, well, you know, Brother Brian, joy and happiness are two different things. I noticed you ain't got neither one of them. <laughs> I don't believe the Lord's near as interested in our happiness as he is in our, is in our holiness. Dear, can't, don't you get it? Holiness is what brings happiness. Guess why I wanted my children to be holy? Because I can't stand the thought of them enjoying their lives. I want them to be as mad as I am. Because I want them to have a good life. Come on, guys. Can you see in this passage right here that the highway to true gladness and happiness is called what? Love what God calls right. Hate what he says is wrong. You got to hate something to be happy. What do you have to start hating? What my nation is wallowing in. Not for them. Just for me. I'm not going to judge. This is just for me. I think it's the craziest thing in the world. You want to be the happiest person in your business? Right there's the answer. What does it mean above your companion? You say, I didn't know God made people glad. Read it. Your God will pour out gladness on your soul. The Holy Spirit is pure joy. This is so simple. It is the highway to happiness that is so wonderful. I don't want to show you something crazy. I've had, how many of you would like a happy home? Let me show you a happy home in the Bible. Turn with me to Psalm 118. This is not hard. I decided that rather than everybody throwing up on me in my house and throwing up on the table when we eat together and throwing up in the living room and throwing up on the telephone, you know what I decided? And you know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about puke. I'm talking about the way we talk. I decided we're going to have happiness in our house. We're going to laugh. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to celebrate God's goodness in our home. We're going to enjoy each other. We're going to like being there. And uh, I, I just, this is so simple, dear ones. The Bible talks about our homes in Psalm 118. And it says this, verse 15, the voice, the sound of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. What's your tent? In the Bible, when it says tent, what does that mean? That's your house. That's your home. Tell me this. All right, I walk up to my neighbor's house. What is, the, what is the sound I hear coming out of my neighbor's house? What does it say? Rejoicing. And you know what the difference between, what's the root of rejoicing? Joy. What's the difference between joy and rejoicing? I can have joy and not rejoice. My heart can just be so excited and thankful and glad on the inside. And I'm not, what is rejoicing? Rejoicing is when you express your joy. It's when you put, you're making noise about it. It's when you're going, God has been good to me. I'm the luckiest man alive, most blessed man in the world. The Lord's blessed me and been good to me. I'm just thrilled to be. I got the greatest woman on earth. Got the prettiest little plump young and sweetest having the best time. God's good to me. My truck's running right now. I got Dave's killer bread. Life is great. God is, I'm rejoicing. You walk up to your neighbor's house. What do you, you hear that sound coming out of your neighbor's house? Connect two words in there. Rejoicing and what? Righteousness. A home that is righteous will be a home that has rejoicing. A home that says we're going to obey God in this house. We're going to honor him in this house. We're going to do what he says. Guess what's the sound you're going to hear coming out of that house? You're not going to hear screaming, hollering, cursing, swearing, hatred, tears. What are you going to hear in the home of the righteous? Rejoicing. What you want your house to be like? This is so simple 
This is the highway to happiness that we're missing. Now, I want to ask you a question. What is God's heart for you? Do you really think he meant for his people to be miserable and depressed? There's no passage in the Bible that show you the heart of God better than Luke chapter two. I want to turn and look at it. This is the first thing God ever said after his son came to earth. This is, I want you to memorize this verse. I want you to chew on it and hang on to it. This is a life-changing verse in the Bible. This is, a, this is one of the verses that caused me to say there is something wrong with churches in this nation. There's something wrong with the way we're doing this God stuff in this nation. I want you to see what this verse says. This is another one of the verses I love amongst all the others. All righty. Do ones listen to me carefully. It's not enough to know the Bible. You've got to know God's heart. You can, a lot of people know the Bible, but they don't know him personally. They know the Bible, but they don't know his heart. The Bible becomes a destructive tool if you don't know the heart of God. That's why so much damage has been done by the Bible. You've got to know the heart of God. And there's no verse in the Bible that shows his heart greater than Luke chapter two. See if you remember this, verse nine. An angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, this is the first thing God spoke after his son came to earth. This is the great announcement of all of humanity. Do not be afraid. I bring you what? Does it say good news? Some Bible say good tidings. What's tidings mean? I bring you good news of what? Great what? Which is for? That's the greatest announcement God ever made. That is the heart of God right there. You tell me what my father's saying to me through this book. I got good news, son. And the good news I bring you will cause you to have, say it. If it don't bring great joy, it ain't God. If it don't bring great joy, it's not my father. What was his purpose in sending me his word? Good news brings, guess what he wants me to have? That's why he sent good news. He didn't send his message to mess my life up. Christ came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to make me miserable. He came to make me. What does it say? I bring you good news of great joy. And this is for who? This, this is for every human being. Now, many people have said, well, certain folks just can't achieve it. Go back and read it again. This is for all people. Let me give you an example of this. Years ago, I had a lady, a young woman. She was about 19, 20 years old in my church. It's been 30 years ago. She had one of the, she just had terrible problems. Her mind was so messed up. Her emotions were so tormented. I felt so sorry for her. She'd pull her own hair out, lay in the bed and just bang her head against the board. She was so tormented mentally and so miserable. I got her in a hospital in Atlanta called Rafa, which was a healing hospital for those with mental problems. After a few days, the doctor called me to talk to me about this lady. I loved her dearly, loved her family. And we're talking about her situation. I said to the doctor, I said, do you, do you think you can help her? And he hesitated. And he said, pastor, what does the Bible say? And then he said this to me, did not Jesus Christ promise joy and peace to every person? He said, I can help her. And I thought you should be the preacher. I should be the orderly. Friend, who did God promise joy and peace to? Every human being. <clears throat> this is, what you've heard this morning is not, oh, this is good news. I didn't get mad when God said, you need to repent, son. I got glad because I knew what came on the other side. Here's, this is the tug of war of all of humanity. <clears throat> it's not about good and bad, dear ones. It's not about good and bad. Forget this good and bad stuff, will you? It's not about good and bad. It's, it's about my way versus God's way. God didn't come to make bad people good. Read it. He came to make dead people alive. He, he doesn't say quit smoking, quit drinking, quit chewing, quit. He says, follow me. Let me run the show. That, that's, that's the sticking point, isn't it? I'll give a thousand dollars. I'll go to church on Sunday, but ain't nobody telling me how to live. That, that's the killing point right there. The good news is you follow him, obey him. What follows? Great joy. Every time. This, this, is, uh, this is why happiness is so low in our land. Polls tell us that happiness is so low. You ever heard this song? Looking for love in all the wrong places. 
What if it turns out we've been deceived and we're looking for happiness in all the wrong places? Look at me in Psalm 118 again. Turn back over there. I, I forgot to show you. I got to show you this. Methodist already got all the white meat. You might as well relax. Looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Everybody I know just wants to be happy. Everybody I know wants their marriage to be happy. They want their kids to be happy. They wish their land to be happy. That's probably not going to happen. I want to, I want to, we saw in the Bible, Psalm 118, 15, that the sound of rejoicing is in the home of the righteous. But let me show you what it does not say in here. Read with me verse 15. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the rich. Rich, listen, money's not where happiness comes from. Would you like to ride around with me and let me prove it to you? When I was traveling, I visited in over 3,000 homes during those years I was doing that. I've been in homes of Major League Baseball players, pro football players, entertainers. We went into nice homes doing that. I'll never forget, I'm in the Bronx in New York one day. I went into the home of a fellow who was a Major League Baseball player. He was retired. He'd won several golden gloves, which means you're the best defensive player in the, in the nation or in your league. And I walked out of that house and I told my buddy, I said, that is not worth it. It was one of the most miserable, dark places. Everybody in there was miserable and depressed. He was miserable. Then was if money brings you happiness, they should have been delirious. I've been in many homes. I'm, I'm, you can be happy and rich, but money's not the root of true joy. The Bible does not say that rejoicing is in the house of the religious. By far and away. Religious people are the most miserable people I've ever met in my life. I, I've been in homes where I thought, you let me get the hell out of here, I ain't never coming back in this place again. <laughs> I just said that for the religious people. <laughs> Years ago, I took my family, they were younger, we went over to eat lunch with somebody in the church. Starts as another church, but now is this church. <laughs> and after about an hour, I said to myself, I said, self, if I ever get my children out of here, we're never doing this again. My kids ain't listening to this mess. I value our happiness. Too. Religious people some of the most miserable people I ever met. They say, I've heard you talk about this religion versus Jesus. What's the difference? It's the joy. Amen. It is the joy. Religious people, they're mad. They, I don't think they're righteous. I just think they're mad because you can goof off and they can't. <laughs> I mean, they act like they've been vaccinated with pickle juice and stuff with a curtain rod. That ain't Jesus. <laughs> God have mercy. I run from them. Regular. So did Jesus. There's no joy in religion. His name is Jesus. It's a relationship with a man. The Bible does not say that the voice of rejoicing is in the house of the smart. Being smart don't make you happy. I know some miserable. Matter of fact, the book of Ecclesiastes says the smarter you are, the, hurt, the more you hurt. Yeah, education will kill you. Read it. I didn't write it. Much studying maketh thee mad. <laughs> I'm all about education. You're just not going to find your happiness there. And let me make another. This is going to kill my right, no, young people. This is going to kill y'all. The voice of rejoicing is not in the house of the hip. You don't find happiness by being cool. The voice of rejoicing is in the house of the righteous. It's the same old, I'm selling the same old product I've been selling for 50 years. Do right, you will rejoice. End of discussion. Dear ones, our nation is looking for happiness in all the wrong places, not in fame, not in money. Let me make an announcement. I need to say this. Our, our, we're killing ourselves. True happiness is not in found in animal level lust. Why do we keep doing this in this land? Same old, same old. And we grow more miserable the freer we become. We're not free. We're enslaved to our appetites in this land. Making ourselves miserable. Self-indulgence is just holiness. Let me quit by mentioning this. How about our eternal mental health? How many believe there's, we should have eternal mental health? You ever seen this on a tombstone? R.I.P. R.I.P. Y'all know what that means. What does R.I.P. stand for? You know what that means? I hope you have eternal mental health. I hope you have peace. On, I, hope you, I hope you can finally find some peace. I was talking to a fellow and he was so depressed. 
He said, I was reading the obituaries and I read where this guy died and I thought, lucky dude. That's depression. I said, at least he found some peace. How do you know? There was RIP. We don't always RIP. There is eternal mental health to be considered. All right, this is where me, this is where I'm fixing to anger people. I'll get it on the platforms this week. Turn with me to Matthew 13. This is where the Bible talks about the eternal mental emotional condition. Matthew 13. I'm talking to a young girl one time about following Jesus. And it, she, it wasn't time for her to listen yet. She said, if I die and go to hell, all my friends will be there. We'll just party. We'll party in hell. I tell you, I, <clears throat> that's a long time. I believe I'd look up and see what it says before I made a commitment. I believe I'd want to know the truth. I'm not, I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just telling you a smart man would look before he goes. A wise man looketh ahead and considereth. I'd look at it if I was you. Matthew chapter 13 is where the Bible describes the, the eternal emotional condition of people. In verse 41, the Bible says this, the son of man will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who, what's the two words? Practice lawlessness. This time at the end of the age, Jesus is coming back. Listen, don't worry about what people think about you. They're not your judge. I'm in a store the other day, a little girl in front of me in line, she had a belt on the belt said, only God can judge me. And I could tell by being around her why she wore that belt. She was tired of her mama telling her to straighten up. Don't you, let's know about what other people think about you. You only have one judge. It's not your mama. It's not me. Certainly not me. I'm not a very judgmental person. You, you can marry a flaming Volkswagen if you want to for all I care. You have one judge. And at the end of the age, we will all be judged. And the Bible said this, he will gather together all things in his kingdom. Now, what's the last two words there? What is it? Who practice? What's the word? Lawlessness. What is lawlessness again? First John 3, 4, sin. What does it mean to practice sin? I choose to do it my way instead of God's way. I choose. Now, what does practice mean? We're not talking about making a mistake here and saying, Father, I'm sorry. That's not practice. That's a mistake. Practice means you're not going to tell me what to do. You do it over and over and over. All right. What does the Bible say about that? Now, this is the verse that lights people up. This makes preachers mad. Verse 42, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be what? Wailing and gnashing of teeth. I ask you a question. Why do people gnash their teeth? Why do people gnash their teeth? They're angry. Why do people wail? They're miserable. Wailing is to cry out in misery, deep depression. What does the Bible say is the eternal mental condition of those who put their fist in God's face. What did, he tell, what did he tell Cain? Why are you angry and why are you so miserable? That is the eternal condition apart from God. God is everything good. He is, he is life, he's hope, he's joy, he's peace, he's everything good. Take him out of the equation, what do we have left? Everything good is gone. Now people bow up all the time and they want to fight with me and say, I don't believe a loving God would send anybody to hell. You better deal with that. Let me make an announcement. God has never sent anybody to hell. You see that thing on the wall back there? He sent his son to be beaten beyond recognition and nailed to that thing so you wouldn't have to go. In our pseudo-intellectualism in this nation today, we reject the notion that there is a hell. One simple question, friend. If there is no hell, why was there a cross? He didn't have to die on that cross to teach me how to treat my wife. He wrote the book of Ephesians for that. He didn't have to die on a cross to teach me how to treat you. He wrote the Sermon on the Mount for that. He died on that cross for one reason. There is a hell to avoid. Eternal mental anguish. I've had people tell me, me and my buddy's going to drink beer in hell. No, you're not. What does it say? You're going to grind your teeth and suffer endlessly for all of eternity. You say, I wish you wouldn't talk about this. Take it away. I never will again. I want to know. And the Bible said this is, this is, there's no RIP if I put my fist in his face. Let me shift gears now. I had to make it real dark so the lights will show up. You don't see the stars till the darkness comes out at night behind them. How about the eternal mental health of people who humble themselves before God and say, not my way, but your way. 
I saw a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and the old earth passed away. And God said, I will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people and I will be a father to them and they will be sons and daughters to me. And I will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow or depression. Behold, I make all things new and he who sat on the throne. There's only one man on the throne of eternity said, I make all things new. Write these words because they are faithful and true. Preach these things. I'm a happy man. Once in a while, somebody will say to me, you're unusually happy. Unusual? Have we reached the point in this nation that true happiness has become unusual? Let me make an announcement. I'm not unusually happy. I'm normal. It's not because I'm a preacher. Preachers suffer at one of the highest rates of depression in the nation. Come up here and look out. You'll see why. I think they're depressed because they take this stuff serious, what I think. I'm not, it's not because I'm a preacher. It's not because I'm rich. I'm blessed. It is because I found in the Bible the answer to happiness. I made a decision a long time ago. I don't care what I want to do. I have decided to follow Jesus. What he says is going to be right is what, I'm not about you, but for me, I choose right. I choose righteousness and I'm going to hate lawlessness. Even if something inside of me cries out for it, I'm going to put you down. I've decided to love righteousness and hate lawlessness and I want to give my testimony real quick. He has kept his part of the bargain. I, I'm, I'm as happy as a fat pig in the slop. I'd spike a hymn book if we still had him in here. I just love this kind of stuff. God tells the truth. God tells the truth. Madonna's lying. He's wonderful. Dear ones, it's all about decisions. It's all about decisions. And it's your time to make one right now. Father, I praise you and thank you. You, you are more than wonderful. How could you make it any simpler? Your word is so simple. We don't need to think ahead. We don't need to figure things out. We don't need to understand. We just need to bow our knee and say, not my will, thine be done and mean it. And then when we get up, every decision that comes up, thy will be done. Thy will be done. I want to praise you and thank you that your word brings light and understanding. I thank you for every person in this room. Dear Jesus, if they knew, if they knew how much you loved them, surely you hanging on that cross is enough proof that you care about their lives and their future. Surely the cross is enough. I pray, dear Holy Spirit, go all around this room and draw people to the Son of God. I, I will never cease to be stunned and amazed that you who are so perfect would die and open heaven's door for somebody as screwed up as me. I'll never get over it. I'll be praising you for all of eternity because of this. Draw people to Jesus, dear Holy Spirit. Friends, you've got to make a decision. It's not about being a good person. It's about your will versus his will. It's about your way versus his way. And you have to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Let him run your life and mean it. And uh, boy, it's just, he's so good. If you want to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord and turn from your sins and let him run your life and let him do what he wants with you in every area, I want you to pray a simple childlike prayer. If, if you ever decide to pray it, it's done really. Because God looks on the heart. The heart of the matter is always the heart with him. Just pray this with me if you want to call on Jesus. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on a cross because of my sins, because you love me. I, want to, I just want to say thank you that your love for me is greater than my sin against you. I believe in you, Jesus. And I ask you today to forgive me of every sin I've ever committed and I ask you to wash them away. And I turn from that. Today I receive you as my Savior. Lord, the love of my life forever. I want to follow you. I want to be yours. I'm done with my way. I want your way. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, forgiving me, saving me, writing my name down in your book that can never be erased. Take me wherever you want to go. I'm yours forever. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, 
strong son of God. Father, I want to thank you and praise you that heaven's door is still open for a while, sometime. And I, I'll, I'll never stop praising you that in your great kindness, you showed me the son of God in my belligerence and said, son, this is my way, the cross. I thank you for that. I just praise you for every person that just called on your name and nothing on this planet matters, Father, except what we do with Jesus. Thank you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.